Hi, I'm Reg Harbick, and today I'm here with my colleague and co-author, uh, Carl Eric Stenvors, who has been in the mainframe space for a very good long time. Um, well, Carl, let's start by telling us about how did you end up on the mainframe? Well, a, 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 bit, of a, a bit of a coincidence. I, I tried very hard to become a, a mechanical engineer by the end of the 60s, you know, cars, engines, gearboxes, and so on. And then it just happened at my university, they had this big thing sitting there called the System 360 Model 75. Um, dur during my, my first studies, we used some advanced HP, uh, you would call them advanced calculators. So, so the idea of IT had come to me, but then when I saw this thing and, and started talking to the people operating it, uh, they, were, they were modifying the operating system and doing things and I said, this sounds like something I'd like to do. So, so when I got when I finally got got myself together and, and quit the the mechanical engineering, I got, I got employed by a, a relatively big Danish company uh, who was running in about forty five countries across the world, and they were seeking some hopeful that would be uh, given a, a course, a one year course with salary paid, of course, uh, because there was no formal education for information technology at the moment. So I, I went to this uh, te educational testing that they called uh, IT uh, programmer or IT assistant or whatever you want, but it was basically a programming class. And uh, one of the things we did was that we, uh, we were taught assembler language. Mm. And that just got me, you know, I said, and I, and to the thought back to the, to the 360 guys at the, at the university, I'd like to do that. So uh, when I got back from education, I, I specifically asked in the company if I could join the what they call the system programming department uh, cool. as a junior system programmer and got that. And we had a fabulous 360 model 40 that had mm. 128K of memory. Wow. Absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and we were running uh, OS 360, MFG, and Haskell. Mm -hmm. Oh. So uh, that's how it all started. Then, you know, at the time, um, you could basically write your own paycheck if, if you were a good mm. systems programmer. So the, the three senior people ahead of me just left <laughs> almost from the, one day to the other. So I was thrown out on the, on the deep water as a very, very young and very junior systems programmer. So that's how it all started. Now, a couple of things you've said so far make me think that maybe you got to make some changes to the operating system because this is back when the source code was still available. Sure, that, that, that's what we did, you know. Uh, in, in my first job, uh, it was mostly around um, around uh, uh, just uh, hasp, you know, hasp, mm. hasp for source code, you know. So it, and and it was so easy to do because they gave you the source code and and you basically just fixed it up so what you could do. But but of course with the uh, you know my you know microfish mm. microfish you know where you had a, a film. Mm -hmm. So so we had all the um, the OS three hundred and sixty also in source code. Nice. So uh, that was one of the things that got me. Um, and, and still thinking about the, the guys at the university, you know, university people run very short jobs, you know, mm. uh, compile link go. And, right. and uh, almost 95% of, of the time is spent on allocation, deallocation and changing and changing uh, uh, steps. So these guys had developed a, a one-step procedure where they modified things. And that inspired me a lot. And then, of course, mm. Uh, the share tape, 
the CBT, mm. the Shiate was absolutely fabulous. So um, that, that, that's what we did. Then I, I went off to an assignment in Nigeria to do something completely different. Mm. And, and uh, then coming back again, we heavily modified the operating system. And, 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 and then at that time, guess two to actually fit mm. into our, to, to our schedule. Uh, an interesting point was that we were a service bureau, so we didn't have a lot of money. So uh, we, we didn't buy RAGF and we didn't buy Top Secret or ACF2. Mm. We came up with the idea, why don't we write our own using the, 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 the SAF, you know, mm. the, the SAF interface that everybody uses. That makes sense. I mean, SAF is pretty solid and, and everybody yeah. uses it. Oh, yeah. So, so what we did was that we basically wrote our, our, our um, uh, naming standard in, into Ooh. that with our own SVCs, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so we built, based on that, we built a, a full security system written by, our, by ourselves, of course, in a singular language. So uh, that was yeah. pretty good. Then from the, from the share tape, we, there were a couple of things that were very interesting. Uh, before it got to DS2, at HASP, we made what we called HASP to HASP, which was mm. a modification from Triangle Universities, where you basically uh, did what Network Job Entry did in DS2, and we rewrote that. Uh, well, we took that from, from, from the share tape and then modified to, to fulfill our, our requirements. Now, you say um, HASP to HASP, but that makes me think of something in the Share Songbook. Um, I'm going to look that up while you keep going here and see if I can find it, because I remember the phrase hasp to hasp uh, actually being in the share songbook. I don't know if you, uh, haspy days uh, are here again. I, so I, let me see if I, I can I didn't find know that, that but it, it was, a, it was a, a pretty nice thing coming. I, I think it was Triangle Universities uh, that, that had developed it. And, and uh, it was just, uh, you know, assemble ups, a hasp with a new processor and, and you connected hasp system from all over the world, sending, you know, it was a job. Job, job thing, you know, you send jobs across across uh, the network, you know, with 4,800 4, BPS or something like that. But it worked wonders. And the other thing we did, uh, you know, HASP and DS2 is, is what you would call processor-oriented. You know, it was written by Tom Simpson, who, who uh, worked out in, in Houston. And he, he, he documented this processor thing. So we, we made a display processor all on our own that would that would run and, and display on 3270 screens the, the status of the system for our for our operators so they could at any point they didn't have to go and take any commands because we ran this screen you know with jobs and uh, waiting jobs executing jobs printing jobs etc very very interesting because the design of that the has the has process design was absolutely fabulous tom simpson was a was a genius on that so he later john damdal as a matter of fact so I've just been looking through the share song because you've been telling about this, and I discovered about 20 references to Hasp to Hasp, and the very first one is one based on the tune uh, Yellow Submarine, and it begins in the town where share is held, people come to skids and chat, uh, and then uh, down further on it says, from our operating staff, straight VM was hard to grasp, so we took a week and wrote Hasp to Hasp to Hasp to Hasp. So <laughs> That's it. We did that. We did. Cool. That was, that was an amazing, uh, amazing uh, Things to do, and and then uh, we did a lot to the uh, to the operating system itself because we had a very special operation. We had um, uh, all the the current tapes were next to the tape station, so we didn't have to run to the vault. And we mm -hmm. could then uh, we changed the way that that uh, the system 
assigned the next the next available tape station so that we could actually go and mount the tapes in advance because we knew that the request would come to that to that particular station. Nice. Oh, oh, we did we did a lot of stuff to the to the operating system. Really, 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 and we sold the solution. Cool to people in in Sweden, in Holland, in 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 the UK, and this was out of Denmark and Norway. So we have customers. You know, so now, other than other than Nigeria, to this point, you've been basically working in Denmark. Is that right? Denmark, Norway, mm. Denmark in the beginning, and then uh, after after Nigeria, I went to to work in in Oslo because that, ah. that's where this this company, another company, had had started modifying. And and the the basic idea, if you look at it, was that we wanted to go to this was service bureau, so we want to go to smaller IBM customers, you know, low end three mm. sixties. Mm-hmm. And replace their their machine with with a with a remote terminal. And the challenge we had was that these remote terminals, at the day the low end ones, the twenty seven Hs, once something was printing, you mm-hmm. couldn't you couldn't enter the ops or send commands. So we actually modified the uh, the uh, the protocol for, from binary in binary synchronous for the twenty seven eighty, so that the customer could put a, a deck. In, in the card reader, commands mm. or job, and push the start button. And we would then interrupt the print, take a checkpoint, read the command, and continue printing. Oh. So we did that. So basically, uh, the card reader was interacting real time with the printing. Absolutely. We, we could, we, 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 we used some very strange uh, uh, product. I think it was called a Remcom 2780. And, and of course, we knew that the binary synchronous, you know, mm-hmm. start sending, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the only thing we actually had to do was to say, well, somebody is pushing the button on, on the card reader. <laughs> but the thing is printing. So we just go and interrupt the print, take mm-hmm. the card reader and continue printing, you know, so, without skipping anything. So the card reader and the printer were basically acting like a, a keyboard and tape console for you by running Absolutely. two jobs in parallel. Sure, sure. It was almost like you know the the low end system system uh, three sixty model twenty and and also system three could actually load a a a program that would run as an intelligent terminal where you could actually mm. send commands etc. So we copied that down to a, a much lower cost uh, uh, twenty seven eighty and and uh, this was a huge success. We had lots and lots of customers who came onto that cool. because they could skip completely. The the uh, have, having their own machine with operating and and other things. The the other interesting thing we did, which, which you probably won't do today, was that my first job we had ro- we had our own um, interactive, uh, um, if you will, transactional system written in BTAM, where where what, it was for one customer who would enter transactions during the day, and then at the end of the day, he he would he would run you know overnight batch, mm-hmm. but then. We got a, a pre-release of CICS on a oh. 2314 package. This would be about 1968. This, this was uh, no, this was just after 1970. So, okay, so so, so this is Kix was already GA, but this is a pre-release of the next release then. Yeah. So, okay. So what we wanted to do was that we want to take our our time monitor and introduce into Kix, which mm. we had which which we arrived doing. Now you're saying BTAM, not VTAM, right? Basic terminal access method. No, BTAM. Oh yeah, this was very, very old stuff. You know, running mm. on on uh, uh, 
on uh, 1200, 2400, and in the end, 4800 BPS modems, you know. Wow. Over telephone lines. Oh, this, this was absolutely, and, and with this small machine, it was still, it was still good. Huh? That is so cool. So yeah. now, so you continue to work for this company in Norway, but eventually you moved on. Yes, because what, what happened when I got back from Nigeria, uh, I had been working, we were a customer of, of my, my later employer in Norway, and they uh, had a guy who was leaving. He's actually mentioned in, in, uh, in, the, in the thank you notes of our book. So he oh. was going somewhere else, and they said, couldn't you come and take his place? And here's an interesting thing. When he, jo- he later joined IBM, and when he went on his first assignment, I got this very interesting telephone call between uh, Christmas and New Year's Eve, if I'd come to IBM and take his job. Mm. And I said, of course, I said, yes, mm. I would love to. And then later on, he actually replaced me, and I replaced him again. That's why he's in the <laughs> group. We have worked together since 1974. Wow. So, uh, that is cool. So, so, I worked a couple of years for, for the Amdel company also. Um, when they introduced the 5860 with MDF, you know, the, mm. the, the partitioning uh, of, of the Amdel machine, mm. which, which was a little bit earlier than LPA. But this would have been late 70s now? No, uh, early 80s. Early, early 80s, 80s. I think okay. the 5860 came out in 84 or something. Mm. Then what happens is that... Uh, the other part of that interesting telephone call from IBM was, uh, we understand that you've done this uh, MDF thing. Yeah. So uh, I went on to write the first red book for oh, wow. LPA, 3090E LPA. It uh, cool. must have been 87. You know, it was night shift mm. because the machine was used for anything else. And the console was locked into a room mm. where we had to sign in Time uh, physical security to get, to get locked in <laughs> so that we could access the console that that could actually set, because you at that time you had two modes you had basic mode and you had LPA mode so in basic mm-hmm. mode you ran the old way right in LPA mode you could create was it two five LPAs two LPAs three LPAs in the beginning mm-hmm. and 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 we were not allowed to to to, to take that out of the room if, if you will so we had some very interesting discussions of on what you would call micro-marketing be- between what MDF presented and what LPA presented. Now, LPA just, to, this... just to put this in context, was PRISM introduced concurrent with LPA or was it a later innovation? No, it, it was the same thing, you know, and this was one of these, uh, again, the discussion about the naming because uh, we couldn't call it PRISM because somebody had that. So it was called PR forward slash SM for process or resource system management. But everybody and calls it prison. Do, it prison. And that was, and of course you were told you can't, you can't say that. Everybody <laughs> said that. Like, like, you know, everybody said you can't say MIPS, but everybody said MIPS. So, so LPA was, was, was the, uh, the, the prison was the LPA. Mm. But of course the base for all of that was, uh, was the SI, the start interpretive execution that had been announced a little bit before, which, which was a way of, uh, scheduling a virtual machine in system mode, right? Yeah. That, that's what SI does. Sci is SI an instruction or is it SVC or what is it? No, it's an instruction start interpretive execution that has a huge control block on the side so that architecturally you would say SI and you would then give the, the opportunity to this LPA or in the second point to the VM uh, 
to the VM operating system to actually execute in uh, in supervisor mode, so that you wouldn't be interrupted whenever you did a a, 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 a frequent um, uh, um, instruction, you know, a pre a previous instruction. You would be able to do that. There were only a very very few rarely used um, instructions that would actually interrupt. The, so the, the beauty of Psi was that you were not interrupted when you did something you were not supposed to do. There were lots of, of uh, assistance and so on in the system, which was, we still are, so that you would have a, a very, very nice performance. Of course, so this, is, that, this is the original hardware instruction for enabling a hypervisor. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. And, 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 and uh, that, that's a very, very, very nice system journal article about that. Uh, written by the guy who invented that. Uh, the name fails me, but um, he, he was in, in, the, in the group of, of uh, processor design. Beautiful, beautiful written piece that explain how this, how this came about. Because, you know, in the beginning, VM uh, running uh, two or three uh, MVT or MFT uh, uh, images would, would die because of, the, because of the overhead, right? So mm -hmm. took, because the overhead is the interruption every time you did a, a privileged instruction uh first level interrupt handler would say you, you you don't have the right to do that and then mm -hmm. somebody would pick up and, and 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 execute for you and come back and if you had a, a few of those uh just just wouldn't happen right so the mm -hmm. next thing that happens is that um, i go on assignments a couple of times i went i went to london uh, on an assignment to run what is known as uh, early support programs you know you contacted a customer uh, told him about, him about the next machine or the next version of VM or the next version of, of uh, then COS and asked would he be able, would he be willing to to help us make sure that this thing flies that it could be maintained that it could be installed that it could operate and and then he would of course have access to that for a number of months for a number mm -hmm. of weeks number of months without paying for it right mm -hmm. and then at the end of that program he could say well I don't want this. Which now, this is going to be late 80s, early 90s? Yes, beginning of the 90s, where we, we were just uh, in this thing, seeing that, that the, the bipolar technology was getting close to, mm. to end of life, you know. So uh, uh, the last one, I, I did the 9121s, you know, the, small, the, the air cool machines, mm. and I did the, the years 9000. The, the last one was the, um, was the 10 way processor that, that we installed with some customers beginning of the 90s, right? So this would be the MVSEA moving into OS 390 era, I guess. Yes, yes, absolutely. Lots of name changes. And most of the thing was the, the, the delivery methods. You know, we had some very, um, you know, SMP is, is a great tool, but it takes mm -hmm. a while to get into that, right? So they, they, uh, uh, they changed the packaging so, so to make things easier for, for customers, mm -hmm. right? Easier to migrate each year to install, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then what happens uh, after that is uh, well-known, the second bet your business from IBM mm -hmm. changing to, uh, to CMOS technology. That was such a big deal. Um, you know, oh, people have forgotten was. about, I mean, these days, you know, if you talk about bipolar, you're not talking computing. <laughs> uh, the, the, and, and the thing was that we already had, you know, the internal names of the last uh, last uh, uh, big machine was the H5, and we had the H8 ready to go. <laughs> well, ready to go, but 
like, like in 1964, when you had the 8000 system that that had a that had a, a next machine that 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 didn't ship, and this H8 didn't ship either, right? Mm. Because uh, um, Nick Donofrio and and uh, Linda Sanford, my two biggest IBM heroes, convinced Gerstner that this was the time to go with this, right? This is a big, big deal. Um, I mean, you know, bipolar was IBM's unique advantage because it was a, a physical computing um, paradigm that was just absolutely outstripping CMOS and always had. And for them to, like you say, bet the company to move across the complementary metal oxide for their architecture. Well, you know, the, the big thing about about the, uh, the 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 last part of the of the of the bipolar was was when they, they invented the TCM. In at the 3081, beginning of the 80s, you know this this uh, this module uh, that that would carry 111 chips uh, because you could. Uh, that was a very stable way of, of uh, giving uh, resources. It, it because it water cooled and and with a, a very specific process to fix the chips on the module. And that followed uh, up until the C12. Only on the C13 they actually changed the packaging. So that was part of that. Of that success, but you know when they changed to CMOS, the, they opened the door wide open for Hitachi and 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 for Ditsu, who continued with the Skyline, for instance, to using using uh, bipolar. Uh, but and and then that that forced, if you will, the the parallel displays, right? Because mm. the, the old um, the old bipolar uh, processor would give something about sixty to sixty five MIPS. And the first CMOS was 15, right? Mm -hmm. So you see the, the big thing, but the, the thing was the, the physical, right? You replaced a, you know, a, 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 house, a full house with something that looked like an American fridge. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was very dramatic. And, and, mm -hmm. and of course, the, uh, what, what uh, Nick Lonafri and Linda Sanford uh, used to convince Gerstner was that we, it'll take a, a little bit of time and then we'll beat the 60 MIPS. Mm. Took four to five years, also helped by the fact an, another IBM first using copper inside the chip instead of aluminium. Mm. And that came out in about 1998. Uh, it has been, they tried it very, very early on, late 80s, beginning of 90s, but they couldn't get the copper to, to fix on the mm. silicon. But then 1998, they announced that. And less than, less than 12 months later than, the, than that announcement, the first mainframe, the first copper chip in the world was for the mainframe, of course. Wow. Where else would it go? And it opened mm. the door for, for some increases in, 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 in technology. The other thing I'd like to roll back to, uh, when I came back from my first assignment, I mm -hmm. back to Norway in 1993, I was asked to go and run the, the capacity and the performance of the of the mainframe for the Lillehammer Winter Olympics. Oh, nice! That is that is a very very special project. Yeah, because you, you know when it starts, and if IT is not ready, it starts anyway, right? Yeah, it starts anyway, right? And and you know when it ends, mm -hmm. and when it ends, you pack up everything and, and and move somewhere else, right? So so a lot a lot a lot of testing goes into that. We we had some. We had something called, I think it was called the TPNS, where you could record things and replay them, right? So when mm. we tested for Lillehammer, we ran the events that had happened next to where I live now in, in Albaville. I live in Chambéry, Albaville is just down the road. 
So we could run, say, the men's 30 kilometers cross country from, from, from Alberville to test our system. And oh. you, know, you, you just saw it. I don't know if you saw it in, 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 uh, in, um, in Beijing right now. Sometimes it's too cold in the morning to start uh, the cross country, right? There, there are some okay. rules in that. And that mm-hmm. was a panic for us because then they would uh, push it by two or three hours later. And that mm-hmm. meant that that would run into what happened in the afternoon. So, mm-hmm. so we got a very uh, compressed way of, uh, of, uh, of doing computing here. And, and we have, had to have the resources so we could do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so cool. a lot, a lot of testing. And then, then this is one of, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on, on, um, on performance, on performance management. And, and there were basically four things in the Lillehammer, in, in the Olympics. And of course, the result system was the most important one. But during the first days, people would arrive all the time and having their photos taken and, 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 and printing their, their papers, you know, or the thing mm-hmm. they put around the neck. And that was run by a kicks transaction that would, fire, that would fire off a batch job, right? So our task was to make sure, regardless of the, of the result system, that we could give this batch job just enough to print a picture. And because otherwise the queue, queue would be long. Right. So we used, we used the uh, uh, SRM, you know, SRM, you can, mm-hmm. you can use uh, what is called periods. And, and we ran 10 or 15 periods to, to measure the, the resources needed for this batch job. And then we reduced that to just a minimum. And we said, this is priority one, but only for, uh, you know, um, uh, so many units of work so it could finish. And, and uh, so that worked nicely. That worked very nicely. Um, they also, well, they forced the Olympic Committee forced to take a 91-21. And they would usually not do that because this was too young. To, you, this is like the space program, right? You don't take mm. the last technology. Mm. But IBM was pushing very, very hard for that. We had just got Gerstner on board and he brought in a marketing manager who pushed mm. for that. Uh, so uh, somebody had to sign with his blood, the paper that said, <laughs> this machine will do good enough. And mm. you can guess who that was, right? Interesting thought. Mm. Now then, fast forward. Second assignment, Montpellier, France, parallel cisplex, right? Mm-hmm. Because parallel cisplex was, was a new thing. And but it's building and on this, all this other virtualization, multi-parallel uh, system yes, running yes. stuff you've already been involved in. Yeah, so, so explaining to customers how, how they could use this. And of course, the, the, the last uh, ES9000 could play in that. So that would be one way of kind of moving over there. So, so uh, a small group of people came to Montpellier, people from the field, like myself, people from the lab, you know, DB2, IMS, Kix, uh, uh, the hardware lab, etc., came together to actually travel to see customers and trying to explain to them what this was and then, of course, helping them when mm-hmm. they said, well, we are going to try this and, and, and helping them to get this one up and flying. So um, that was pretty good. And then my, sec- my second part there came back to, to doing uh, uh, to doing early support programs again with a very different different way of doing things because the machines were so small now right mm-hmm. you know when we be, when we did a big uh, ES9000 parts would come from all over the world 
you know, from Chicago, from New York, and what have you. And and we had the, a lot of people around to actually put the machine together. Now we just ba- basically shipped the, an American fridge, you know. So yeah. so things changed here, right? Mm. The other, it, probably one of the most interesting things I did at that time, early 2000, there was a, a team called the Sea Atlas team. I don't know if you've heard about it. It was famous or infamous. It was a team of about 15 people from around the world that would meet with the lab about two times a year. How do you spell their name? I, I just want to make sure I got this right for the transcript. C Atlas. Like S-E-A Atlas, space like A-T-L-A-S? Yeah. Okay, C minuscule, you know, small set, small C, Atlas. Oh, 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 Z Atlas. You know, the god who carries the globe on his back. Oh, so capital A Atlas? Yes. And but small yeah. small Z? Yes. Ah, is there a slash in there? Yeah, nope. No slash. Just that. But okay. Was, you know, it was one of these things that it was a love and hate relationship because mm. what happens is that we go we go see the lab and they basically talk to us. So all of all of the designers came to talk to us. And we said, mm-hmm. we, because you know, uh, a C machine today takes five to six years to develop. From, mm. from scratch up to, and, and they ship every two, two to three years, right? So there's always two or three in the coming. Mm. So what these guys told us, they, they said, two years from now, we have this technology and, and four years, five years from now, we have this technology. And we have this list of things that we think we, we, think we can do. Mm. Go talk to the customer and ask them to, to, to give you the 10 most important ones. Mm which we did and then came back and discussing. And so we helped them, if you will, hmm. help them. We assisted them in, in making decisions <laughs> about what to implement and what to cool. implement later on. You know, I don't so know this is really this deep customer focus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, on the back of that, I got, I think, one of the first in the field that was allowed to be a customer technical advocate for a very, very large customer in Norway, nice. where you basically put everything out of, of, of order, no salespeople, no, 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 mm. but me, the customer and the lab. Nice. And, and then you basically open up the, because we are then authorized to go and say anything about the future to the customer and the mm. customer would feedback, feedback and feedback. So when I resigned, this customer actually uh, uh, was not very happy with IBM that they let mm-hmm. me go. They, they, they said this, because this, this is one of these things, you know, not even my salesman knew mm. what we talked about. Mm. Not even the people in between me and the lab knew what we talked about. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I'm i not much into into um, awards, but I got one from Nick Donofrio. Nice. Because of that work. Very because nice. we actually managed to save a million dollars a year for that customer in, in, in wow. software. So software group didn't like that particularly. That's <laughs> uh, just one of those things, you know, so... So that 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 was that was these two things there, you know, the lab contact and and with the mm-hmm. customer inside is, uh, and then of course I wrote red books almost every year, all mm-hmm. the hardware red books uh, up until the the what C, no, the C twelve I think I wrote the yeah because I resigned just after having read that after mm-hmm. having written that so I wrote a lot of red books mostly on hardware but also a bit on on WebC and and CVM Linux of course. 
Now, um, although we're at 30 minutes, I, I'm not going to stop you because you're okay, just, sorry. yeah, this is, I know the time just flying. It's wonderful. But let, let me just bring in another thread that I hinted at the very beginning of our conversation. Of course, you've written a lot more than read books. And one of the things you've written is, is you've, I have had the wonderful privilege and pleasure of co-writing uh, a mainframe introductory textbook with you, Dr. Cameron Say and David Boyce. Um, and, you know, I, I know my experience of it. It's wonderful. You guys are great people to work with, and it's so exciting to have it out there. And I'll, I'll read the URL out in a moment just so that anybody who wants to grab a copy can find it. Sure. Uh, that is he.kendallhunt.com slash product slash introduction dash enterprise dash systems dash zero. And we'll put that into the transcript. Um, but I, I'm really interested in uh, both your reflections on, on the experience of writing this and all that led up to it because you just had so much of value and, and you know, you would give us like just these succinct observations and insights and they would bring so much to the book, you know, in addition to what you wrote. And so just having these conversations, so tell me about your experience of what led you to be involved in the book and, and, uh, and all of that. Well, you know, I'm not that young, so, so I'm actually retired, but I'm teaching. I'm teaching a lot at the moment. Uh, mainframe, of course, it's not officially mainframe classes, but I use mainframe in all my classes. So, so when when uh, when Cameron asked me, I said, "Oh yeah, wow, that would be great." But I was a little bit taken by that because this is my first uh, experience in writing for the academics. Mm. But uh, uh, you and David and Cam uh, assured me that the way I've been writing for the for the red books would 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 match pretty well. So and I said the experience. And the experience was formidable. I mean, mm -hmm. I had so much fun talking to you guys and, and writing up this and, and, and you know, uh, taking my memory uh, and, and seeing. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that. I have the book here on the side. I, I, oh, I cool. selected on, on, the, on, the, on the front page, on the cover at the bottom mm -hmm. left. This is my first commercial machine, the 36140. And I oh, put it there neat. because I thought that would, that, that would be a nice a nice, uh, you know, story to tell later on. Uh, no, so I, I really, really, really enjoyed writing that. It was mm -hmm. because it brought back so much. Oh, and, yeah. and, and again, discussing with you guys and turning around and getting the ideas. I think, I think the, the experience is excellent. And, mm -hmm. and of course, my, my wife uh, said, oh, yeah, go do that. You know, because we, have, we live a retired life in France and uh, mm -hmm. I just teach these little classes. But I, I should say that. I'm, I'm teaching uh, uh, Linux, virtualization, and assembler. And the mm -hmm. Linux I teach on the small platform. And then I use the Linux One system in Marist for, mm -hmm. for free access for my... So all of my students for the last six years have had their virtual machine on Linux One, where they have built the most wonderful things from music to, to, uh, to painting to what, whatever. And they don't... No one care. They're on a mainframe. No, no, no. I, I, I give them a small presentation of this and, you know, they just sit there and, and, and can't believe. And then I say, have, have you talked to your mainframe today? And say, no. <laughs> and then I say, have, have, have you got, have you got a, a visa card? And I say, yes. <laughs> so you have talked to your mainframe today because when you took out your 20 euros, you know mm -hmm. where that was? That was on a, on a DB2 database sitting mm. behind a COS that, and probably run by a COBOL program. And they say, oh. <laughs> and then, of course, virtualization. We can't really do virtualization on a Linux One system, but, but at least you can show them. And of mm -hmm. course, assembler, it's a 360 assembler. What else mm -hmm. is there, right? Yeah. And then I use another, the other side of the, um, of the Marist system. 
you know, they you have access where you can actually run uh, assembler code. Cobalt. I think it's the same mm. uh, piece that that Cam uses for his Cobalt classes. Neat. And then, of course, uh, being a retiree, I studied uh, for four years um, um, uh, sci scientific uh, politics. Mm. Polit poli what do you call that in the political uh, science? Political science. Yeah, I, I studied that for four years because I want to understand this new country that I live in, which is very different from where I come from. Now, this is but something our audience are, uh, sort of started to pick up as you've talked, because you're originally from Denmark, and you've lived in Nigeria, yes. Liberia, Norway, um, and currently you're living in France. How many languages do you speak? Uh, well, if I can cheat, I, the three Scandinavian ones are easy like, you know, Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish, but then I speak, of course I speak, you know, you can't live in France if you don't speak French. It's not mm. possible. Yeah. <laughs> then I speak English, of course, and, and you, you had a little bit of German from school, but uh, not not too much, but but mm. I mean, uh, you know, I, li I lived in London for three years. I've been working in the U.S. a lot. So and and you know, in Denmark, uh, from second grade or third grade, you are they they teach you English because you know, Denmark we have less than six million people and not a lot of people around the world speak Danish. So it's kind mm. of you know you take that and 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 then of course it has has helped a lot, uh, and that has reflected on my kids as well because I've taken them anywhere. So they are mm -hmm. trilingual, all three of them, right? Well, plus you have that that sort of basic um, uh, Nordic language that you all speak that is sort of the, the, the common language. But I have to say, I've been really impressed. Nordic uh, English speakers speak better English than most English speakers I know. You, you guys really <laughs> learn the language well. Well, this is because of the, the, the tradition. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. it starts very, very early on. And and uh, and my and my uh, when when you get a little bit older, they very often uh, offer you know three weeks uh, uh, school in, in in the UK, mm, nice. where you're basically put with a family that doesn't speak any any other thing than English. So so it's it's a cultural thing with Denmark, I think. And and cool. and then of course when when you come to France, I three years in Montpellier, and and uh, I'm mm. now married to a to a French woman mm. uh, with two French kids. Uh, Nice. I, have, I have three three teachers at the house for the for the French language. So. Well, and you're you're absorbing the French culture is such a delight when we're on our calls together because it'll be like mid morning North American time, and it'll be after supper time your time. You'll have this wonderful glass of red wine in your hand while we're chatting, and it's always a new one. I'm always just so impressed with with how you totally absorb all aspects of the French culture. <laughs> well, this this is a part of the culture, you know. And, and the other thing, you know, privately. I, I grew up in a, in a in a restaurant kitchen. My parent ran a, a restaurant hotel in the in the countryside in Denmark. So all my homework, all social work, all social life was in the kitchen, mm, big, nice. big uh, restaurant kitchen. And here's the interesting thing: my French wife, her grandmother, was also running a restaurant cool. in, in France. So uh, so we have um, cooking competitions here, but she beats me mm. down the socks. What a great way to lose. <laughs> That's great, great. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we've gone about 40 minutes now. This is great. I, I never go this long. This is just, but I, I don't want to stop until we've got anything else you wanted to share with us. Do you have anything else you had in mind to, to make sure that we heard? Because you've got such a wonderful depth and breadth of experience. Well, back back, back to our book. I think yes. this is important. This is important that the, the get the kids onto this. Mm, yeah. Get the kids onto this because we have a big problem and it's getting bigger. Yes. Just just an anecdote. A week ago, I was contacted by a headhunter mm -hmm. working for a big, very, 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 very big French bank that has about 65 LPAs running COS. Mm. 
and their 40 year experienced guy is leaving. Mm. And uh, they have now hired a young guy, well, young, 40 years old, <laughs> with two months to pick up 40 years of experience. Wow. So, me, as, as I told you, I'm not quite young, but they actually offered me a three year job mm. doing that. And I said, no, 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 won't do that. Well, you know, we need to start. Yeah, go on. You and Cam and David and I, I think, need to make sure the world knows that we're available to help people connect up with, with mentors, but also to appreciate that a mainframe mentor is not somebody you hire for a, a miscellaneous task and just pay them you know, uh, for their time. You know, we need to, to make sure people understand that you're getting the, the depth uh, of experience that comes with you know everything since 1964, even longer, and to uh, value it that way because that's the only way we're going to encourage other people who are at or beyond retirement age on the mainframe to be available for this ongoing mentoring in a manner that actually affirms them rather than uses them and, and treats them with less value than they have. Yeah, that, that that's what I told the guy. I said I'm I'm perfectly willing to 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 take a coaching role or a mentor role if you want me to, and that could. Be. I mean, I'm, I'm not going back to working five, five days a week. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I teach about one to two, sometimes even four days a week, but only for a few hours. So, mm-hmm. so I told him that I can do that. I can, I can, I can put you in the right direction. I can, I can coach, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and uh, kind of get people up and running a little bit faster. And, and of course, I'll, I'll hand them my book, uh, our book as, as the first thing, mm-hmm. right? And then there's a lot of stuff. Red books. I mean, red books is mm-hmm. absolutely incredible what is in there. Like ABC of systems program. Oh, what a wonderful that. resource. That is absolutely, absolutely incredible. And with just one thing that I did forget, when, when I started this, when I started my, my, my this special education for one year, we used Don Lee Knut's The Art of Computer Program. Oh, that is that old treasure. Smashing. That fantastic. I mean, that's what is that 1970 or? Oh, yeah. He, he thought he would write 14, 14 books. I think he ended with four. But <laughs> one thing he did that I then met at university later was the, the, uh, the Mix 1009 machine. I don't know if you ever heard about that. You know, 1009 sure. is Mix. In in uh, in Roman letters. Oh, this was oh, this was, and 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 here's here's the story. Apparently, he was a big fan of Tom Mix. <laughs> and what, what boy, happens yeah. then when when I had read some? We didn't read it from end to end, but we read it for for the mix machine. And mm-hmm. then when I got to university a, a few years later, to while I was working, I took a bachelor degree. They had in they had implemented. The mix one set one 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 thousand and nine on a CDC um, sixty six hundred I think. So I got to program. Oh, the mix machine. Oh, that was absolutely smashing because it was it was a it was a simpler language, of course, but it was pretty well documented and 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 you could make things. I think we made a a, a program that would cut the uh, newspaper front pages. You know, cut it into into uh, what they call columns. Yeah. Running on, on the mix machine. Wow, that that was a I had forgotten to talk about that, but that that's one of the founding things also. But apart from that, the red books is. Uh, I mean, I have customers. You know, when you presented a, a new processor, they said, "Is the red book out?" And <laughs> if you said no, well, come back when it is. So what mm. happens when we write red books is that they are usually made publicly available on announcement day, 
right? Mm. So people can see this new machine, they have the, the, the manual, the, the official manual, and then they have a red book that basically tells you every minute little screw or, 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 or table or whatever is inside the boxes is, is described there. And the customer mm. can start from one, one side to the other, right? Nice. So, so red books, red books, and red books. Well, and obviously the name is appropriate because they should be red. But I'm, I'm thinking we perhaps should have put more red on our cover. <laughs> well, you know, in the, in the beginning, uh, the, 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 the Haspan guest books were orange coming mm. from Washington System Center. Those are orange books, right? Ah, interesting. The, the other thing, can I say one last thing about Linux? Sure, and sure, frame? sure. There's a gentleman called uh, Michael Magaisak, who now let, no longer works for IBM, but he went ahead and made something that he called the cookbooks. So that would mm -hmm. be a cookbook for Red Hat on the mainframe, cookbook for SUSE on the mainframe, cookbook. And, and this was an amazing piece to take to the customer. Here, here we are, the Linux customer is new. You take the, 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 the Red Book and you start on page one. And when you're done, customer has CVM, Linux up and running. Awesome. Absolutely fabulous. And he, he came back very recently and made a new one. Mike, and Mike Mark Isaac, great, great guy. Mm, cool. What else is there? Well, of course, there's a mainframe on, on the PC, you know, the, uh, the ZPDT, mm. which I've been using a lot. Excellent. Excellent. Well, now IBM now offering a virtualized mainframe on the internet. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. That's kind of cool. And you know what happens there? They, they didn't say it. They didn't say it, but it's actually VM running COS. That is mm, just nice. That, Very nice. And that everybody does that. But now IBM actually says, this is a good idea. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's so lovely to see IBM embracing ZVM. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. You know, you know what? I, I think, I think the customer with, with 65 LPARs, some of these LPARs, should be virtual machines mm. because they are there just to be there. I had mm. my, my, my customer where I was the advocate, he had between seven and 800 instances of kicks. Seven and 800. And some of these would wake up, you know, to run a transaction here and there. So he actually, one of the customer personnel actually went to Poughkeepsie to write a red book about that, about what, when would mm. you run a COS image on VM, when would you run it on an LPAR, right? And you know now, you know now that, that VM can do can do live guest migration for, 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 well, for Linux, right? You know, I, I had the opportunity to interview a, a Quebec government-owned outsourcer back in the early 2000s because they'd won a prize from share for what they were doing with Linux. And uh, one of the questions, I, I interviewed them for almost two hours, and one of the questions I asked them, I said, well, how do you decide whether to put a Linux on the mainframe or, or on Intel? And they said, that's easy if it's well-behaved. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? It says, well, you know, if it sits there and chews up all the CPU you can get a hold of, then I put in a little Intel cage and it doesn't bother anybody else. But if it's well-behaved, it wakes up, does a task and goes back to sleep. I can put that stack there with all the other uh, you know, Linuxes in a single box and we get that wonderful wave cancellation effect. We maximize the value. So it sounds like you've done the exact same thing with, with kicks under ZOS under VM. Yeah, I, 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 I agree totally with, with what you're saying. This is, this is, this is uh, absolutely excellent. And there's something else I would say, but I've forgotten. <laughs> well, you and I have lots more conversations that we're going to have to find a, a more opportunities for this. But uh, Sure, sure. Anytime. Uh, yeah, well, so Carl Lark, any last thoughts you had before I finish up with my little blurb? 
uh, uh, back back to education. This is yes. this is uh, this is so close. This is why I do this. This we have we have to keep to, doing this, like Cam says. Uh, uh, otherwise, we'll be in, in a big in a big do very very soon if 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 people don't yeah. uh, don't wake up. I mean, new main new main Yes. 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 Young ones, hmm. not so young ones, but but people with the people under retirement age, if possible. <laughs> That, that would be preferable, I think. Yeah, <laughs> although not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but that would be a good idea, absolutely. I'm mm. right. Just one more thought. On, uh, I'm teaching at the moment. Uh, you know, I have usual students, but then I also have some classes that is run by by the unemployment office mm. and and the local uh, uh, local companies and the school. So I right now have a class of twelve, where mm. two of the people are very close to sixty. Mm, cool. So I teach them. Uh, I teach them Linux, right? And mm. they just love it, and they are very good, you know, because they oh, have, yeah. they are mature. They have another way mm. of looking at things, but it it works very very nicely. Well, and that's an important thing to keep in mind as you educate new mainframers. Is there are actually some things that people have been around for a long time learned in other parts of their lives that are compatible with all the mainframe things because it was invented back then. <laughs> absolutely, 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 and that that's what I keep seeing here. So uh, yeah. So education, education, education for the mainframe is 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 what I'm what I'm doing right now, and maybe one day we'll write another book. Oh, I think so. And, and maybe another one, right? Time, yes. Time will show. Time indeed will show. Okay. Well, any last thoughts, or shall I finish up? No. Thanks. Thanks a lot. It's it's been uh, it's been nice to uh, you know walk back memory lane because it wakes up a lot of things and uh, a lot of good things that that has happened. So. Uh, I started this more than 50 years ago, you know, so uh, I could probably talk for hours. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, let me see here. Uh, I'll be back with uh, another podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to their weekly newsletters, webinars, ebooks, solutions, directory, and more on the subscription page. I'm Reg Harbeck. <laughs>